You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. How's everybody doing tonight? <laughs> Man. All right, so we know uh, technically finals week has not started yet, but it kind of has, right? How many of y'all have already taken finals? You see? Oh, oh yeah. Man, How many already uh, pretty sure you just uh, bombed the final? Man, I was hoping no uh, hands would go for that one. <laughs> how many? How many of you have like calculated uh, the amount of whatever you got to get on this final to pass it? T- some of y'all know. Yeah, some of y'all know. Like you, uh, you, uh, you don't even have to take the final to pass, and uh, so you're contemplating whether or not you even show up. Yeah, that's you. Um, nice. Well, welcome to Overflow tonight. Last one of 2016. Yes, sir. Um, so tonight, the format's going to be a little bit different. As you can tell, we got a table and chairs out here, and there's two of us up here. Uh, we, uh, we know that it is finals week, and that it, uh, it's about to be Christmas. Uh, supposedly, I've heard Santa's going to be here in about 30 minutes, so we got That's a lot right. of ground to cover quick. Ready. Uh, if you have never been to Overflow before, uh, let me just say welcome. And uh, like I said, the format tonight's a little bit different. We don't know if it's going to work. Yeah, for sure. We'll find out pretty quick, though. We'll find out. Uh, but hey, if it is your first time, my name's Austin. I'm the college pastor here. This is my man, Coleman. What up, what up? It's Coleman. Uh, I, do have to, I do have to say, what the heck, dude? Uh, Yo, we did not plan to dress I, the same. So for a split second, when I seen Austin, I was like, dang. But then I thought, man, it is such a privilege that I get to dress like Austin Watlow. So I wouldn't do any tripping. See, I, I, here's my concern, though. My concern is y'all aren't going to be able to tell us apart very well because we look... So much alive. I, I did shave today, though. Okay. But see, we both got the fresh fade. Yes, day, sir. Too, yes, so. sir. Let's go. Let's go. Anyways, uh, so uh, we've known each other for about nine years now. Coleman you, uh, used to be a student in the ministry I led out in West Texas at Texas Tech University. Yes, sir. Um, God rest their football team soul. They didn't do too well this year. Hey. Uh, UNT, though, made a bowl. How about that? Oh, yeah. Hey, shout out to UNT. Real talk. Uh, That's big. So, Coleman, he was, a, he was a student of mine for a while in Lubbock, and then he, uh, he, he and I started leading this Bible study together. And uh, once he started leading it, that's kind of when it blew up. And uh, he came on staff out in Lubbock uh, right about the time I left and came here. Now he is um, uh, on the, uh, he's one of the chaplains for TCU's athletics uh, down in Fort Worth. And uh, so we've been working on this series since the summer and kind of sum up our, oh, I got to tell you this too. I helped introduce Coleman to his wife, who is here tonight. Shout, shout out to the wife. Uh, <laughs> yes, sir. So we've been working on this series since this summer, and, and to kind of sum up, and I know, I know, you know, some of y'all, y'all been here all three weeks. Most of y'all been here all three weeks of this series, but we want to sum it up again for those who have been here and who haven't. Yeah. Over the past few years, and especially the past six months, um, racial tensions have really been heating up in our country and in and in our context, which is really all it's done is really re-exposed a lot of wounds. That have been kind of hiding underneath the, that, the, hiding underneath the surface, undealt with. They haven't been properly, uh, uh, properly dealt with. And we believe that society really just has band-aids to bring to this issue, and, and not the cure. But the church has the cure. Therefore, uh, we as believers, we've got to jump in on the conversation. Yeah. Um, and we said this too. It's it's risky for us to jump in. I mean, would yeah. you agree with that? It is, man. It's super risky. Um, and in some ways, man, we see Satan trying to work, and even in our lives, just. Uh, having a second guess ourselves by even doing this series. Uh, but like you mentioned throughout this series, that, uh, that it's probably riskier to not say anything about this. So Yeah, we, you know, there's a lot of layers to it. It's a dangerous conversation. We kind of, you know, as we've said before, we've been comparing it to uh, taking a nice run or jog through a minefield. But 
Um, you know, as we've said every week, we really feel like it's more dangerous in this case because this issue is so close to yeah. the heart of God and so important to the mission of the church yep. that uh, this is a minefield that it's more dangerous for us to not run through and, and risk making some mistakes as we do than to, um, than to stand on the edge. Um, so anyways, that's, that's where we've been the past two weeks, uh, which sets us up for tonight. Tonight we're going to cover a lot of ground, rapid fire style through the rest of, the rest of James. We're going to end the night praying. Uh, singing some Christmas songs, and then uh, taking some pictures with Santa. Coleman. What, yes, what are you going to ask Santa? What are you going to ask Santa? Dang, are you going to go ask? out there and you're going to sit on Santa's lap and ask him for something? Yes. What are you going to ask him for? I, uh, I think when I see Santa, uh, first of all, I'm pretty excited to see Santa. You know what I mean? Uh, so when I see him, uh, I may refrain from kissing him on the cheek. I, although I really want to do that. But what I may ask him is, uh, what I, what I want for Christmas is. Uh, Beans, greens, tomatoes, potatoes, <laughs> lambs, hams, how, my, you know what I mean? You name it! Sorry. I want to do it again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right. Hey, here we go. James chapter 2. If you got a Bible, open up to James chapter 2, beginning verse 14. Hey, it kind of made me hungry a little bit. <laughs> Any of y'all eat a waffle wagon tonight? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shout out the waffle wagon. All right, come on. I need to hear some Bibles turning. James chapter 2, beginning verse 14. If you got it, let me hear you say, got it. Dang, that was fast. Here we go. Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So we're going to go straight at it tonight. Y'all ready? The gospel and action go together. This is why Jesus didn't just stand at a distance and say he loves us. He showed us he loves us. You cannot separate the two. You can't have one without the other. It drives me nuts, that statement, um, preach the gospel and and if necessary, use words. That's not what I'm implying by what I'm saying here. First of all, that's a cop-out statement to me. I, I, I understand the heart behind it, but the reality is the gospel is a message, and you're called to share it, so you need to speak that message. Um, but the, the, the other side of that, and really what I'm trying to say is this. In our culture, Christians, I feel like we talk a lot of big game, but a lot of times we don't back it up. Oh, so I'll, I'll call it this. Uh, you know what spitboxing is? <laughs> Bro, Y'all know what spit, what do you, what's, tell them what spitboxing is. First of all, I love that you say spitboxing. It sounds good coming from you. Uh, but spitboxing, uh, in a cool. nutshell, is, is when you're all talk and no action. Um, and you're not willing to throw the first punch, so to speak. So, uh, yeah, you ever, have you ever spit boxed? Oh, sure, yeah. So, like, <laughs> if you play sports, you, you probably spit boxed. Especially, oh, like, organized sports where they got, they got referees or somebody that can get between you and the other guy. Like, spit boxing, you know, somebody makes you mad. So you get up in their face, start talking trash. But you know that ref is going to get in between you and stop you before somebody throws a punch. Uh, so you act all tough, but, yeah. like, you know, you never intended to throw a punch in the first place. So, heck, yeah, I've done that. Yeah. You? Absolutely, absolutely, I have, man. Uh, I remember specifically in a basketball game, um, I started talking noise to this dude um, and being real dramatic. First of all, let me just say this. I hate playing basketball with Coleman. This fool, it's like, it's like trying to play with Shaq. Uh, that is my favorite you know, player. You know, the NBA the had to, like, change the rules because of Shaq. Because Shaq, he's, like, you know, massive. And this yeah. just, he, he walks the down goat. the lane and people, you know, bump into him, fall over and get injured. And, uh, and they'd be, like, crying foul, and they call fouls on him, but then they're like, hey, that's not a foul. He's just, like, standing there. It's just Shaq. And that's like playing with Coleman. It's like this freight train coming down the lane. 
And there's a couple times he and I almost got in a fight, probably did some <laughs> spitboxing with each other, because this fool comes, you know, running like a you know, lineman down the lane, and I'm just standing there. I end up up against the wall because <laughs> I was in the space. He was, anyways, continue. I cut you off, spitboxing. No, you're good. That's good. I, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, I just talking noise to this dude, and uh, I knew the ref would eventually get in, get in between us and even our teammates. And so, but it was, a, it was a good opportunity for me to talk big to him. Cool. And no, nothing wouldn't happen. So yeah, uh, you look like a spitboxer to me. Wow! Ready to throw that first punch? <laughs> you know what I'm doing? I'm spitboxing right now. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> Anyways, listen. Here, here's here's why I bring that up. In our culture, I think Christians we talk big game, but we're we're often uh, slow to back it up. But we don't back it up. We mm-hmm. we've got to grow out of the spitboxing uh, immaturity of our faith and learn to throw the first punch. Now I'm obviously not literally talking about throwing the first punch, but here's what I mean. We've got to stop being scared to make the first move. Like, it's one thing for us if this series that we're doing segregated ends tonight. It's one thing if the, you know, the conversation and, and hopefully the action that is beginning to uh, pick up steam behind it, if it ends tonight. It's another thing altogether if, if this series really ending tonight is just the beginning of what we're trying to accomplish here. It's another thing if this series is used uh, tonight to propel us forward into the ring uh, to throw the first punch and to be a catalyst. So I kind of want to throw this question out and see what you think. So what would you say to someone who genuinely wants to uh, jump in and act and be part of the solution, but they're afraid to do so? Like, here's what I mean. Like, maybe they're afraid, especially in the context of racial reconciliation, uh, that they might say uh, or ask something uh, that's offensive. Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, uh, we want to pray. I mean, I would encourage you to. Excuse me, I would, I would encourage you to pray and ask God for wisdom um, because ultimately he'll provide it in a situation like that. But then secondly, man, I would encourage you to have intentional relationships with, with those who are like you, who aren't like you, um, and get a chance to know where they're coming from. I think, I think that's super practical. It, and, and it almost sounds too practical, but the problem is um, a lot of times it's hard to do. But I would say that's the first thing for sure. Pray and then be intentional about pursuing somebody of a different ethnicity and asking them. So. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we want to do tonight, and we've wanted to do off series, is, is try to be as practical as we can with yeah. this because we've got to start somewhere. Yeah. And I would just back up what he said, um, you know, my, my response to, to this. Like, if you're wanting to jump in on this issue and be a part of the conversation, be a part of the action, but you're kind of scared, kind of knowing that you're stepping into a minefield and you're, you don't want to say something or ask something that's offensive or, or taken the wrong way, I think the first way to guard yourself against that is to get, just like I said, get to know people who don't look like you. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if you're white and you don't have black friends, Hispanic friends, Asian friends, uh, then your perspective is, is probably super limited. And you don't have those relationships where, like he and I trust each other, and, uh, and we've done this both with each other, like ask some questions that I wouldn't ask somebody else, you know, but, or I've said some things that I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, I, I, I've, yes. I've said around him, knowing that I can try, knowing that he knows my heart, knowing that he can correct me, and he has, and vice versa, like helped us come to a better perspective. And, and one of the things I'd say about that, because I know a lot of times I'll, you know, we might be talking and, and uh, I, I hear, I'm just going to be honest, okay? Yeah, I, hear, yeah. I hear white people say this all the time. Uh, oh, yeah, I got a lot of, you know, black friends or a lot of Hispanic friends or, you know, whatever. And, and I'm, I'm like, man, I've never seen you hanging out with people who don't look just like you, you know? That's real. And what they're saying is, well, I'm friends with them on Facebook or I have class and I sit next to them and talk to them every Tuesday and, and Thursday, you know? That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is, is having, like, deep relationships where you are having conversations below the surface and really getting to know each other. Yes. I agree. 
All right, you got James 3. Why don't you take it for me? Yes, sir. James 3. Uh, the gist of it is talking about James is communicating, taming the tongue. Uh, and so verse 9 is specifically what I want to zone in on. But I, I want to make sure I say this. Um, this letter, uh, this, this, this right here, the book of James is so key for us because James is talking about practicality and talking about obedience and how faith works itself out in different ways. And so um, in a nutshell, your words actually hold weight. You must know that. Um, what, what doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. Just know that your words hold weight. Um, and then also, the way we speak toward different ethnicities will have an impact, um, either in a positive way or a negative way. Uh, so verse 9, uh, let's see, it says, with it, talking about our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And uh, this, is, this is so crazy that uh, back in A.D. 44, they were dealing uh, the Christians were dealing with these type of issues where they were talking crazy um, or they were saying stuff that wasn't edifying. And so James definitely saw it as an urgency uh, to talk about this. But verse 9 shows that those Christians were, weren't always saying fruitful things back in A.D. 44. And we know that to be true today. In 2016, we as Christians, man, we say a lot of things, especially myself, that aren't fruitful or, or that aren't beneficial um, for, for the many, many ethnicities. And so, um, yeah, as a matter of fact, man, I can think of uh, many examples of, uh, of things people have said, even from, you know, 150 years ago, uh, that, that were degrading to the minority culture that have resonated all the way till 2016. And so um, that just goes to show that our words um, do hold a lot of weight. James also talks about how the power of life and death is within the tongue. What are your thoughts on that, bro? Yeah, I, I, I like everything you're saying, and I would, I would add to it. You look, you look at verse 9 again, and it says, um, this, this is what sticks out to me. It says, so with it, our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. That, that phrase, in the likeness of God, really sticks out to me. Um, and, and I really think our view of other people really reveals our view of Scripture. Um, or our view of wow. other people really reveals whether or not we actually believe the Bible to be true. Like, we may say it's true, but do we actually, in action and in our heart, believe it to be true? Um, and that's revealed in how we view other people. I mean, right here it says that, that people are made uh, in the likeness of God. Um, you also look at all over Scripture, hundreds of times, it's revealed that God is, a, uh, is an all-nations God. We kind of talked about this last week, maybe the week before as well. But he's an all-nations God, an all-ethnos, all-ethnicities yeah. uh, God. And so, again, your view of other people in a lot of ways reveals whether or not you actually believe and take to heart what Scripture says. Um, the other thing I threw out there is it says made in the likeness of God. So if, 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 you, are, uh, if you are cursing other people or, or even just thinking, you know, degradingly of other people, in a lot of ways you are, you are, you are cursing God. Mm -hmm. These people were made yeah. in the likeness. In, in, in a sense, they, they reflect God's likeness. And so you are cursing God. And it's not just cursing God because he created them, but, but you're cursing them because, again, they were made in God's likeness. The other thing I'd point out really quick, unless you, you want to go. Oh, you're good. Okay. Uh, verse, go back to verse 5. It says, oh, yeah. uh, so also a tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Like, get that image. I love James. He uses a lot of pictures and images. He does this here. 
Um, how great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Wow. For every kind of beast and bird, verse 7 now, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. So I think Coleman said this earlier, the tongue is, is powerful. It's always powerful. Yeah. The issue is, will it be powerfully good or powerfully bad? And I think a lot of unnecessary and unhelpful fires have been started by us as believers. The reality is, uh, for many of us, we don't need to just tame our tongue. We need to tame our social media. Wow. And, and let me just say, yes, social media, I, I think, is in many ways a very cowardly, very lazy, and very ungodly way to address issues like this. Um, it, it doesn't allow for dialogue, which is so important uh, in issues like this. It's way yeah. too easy for stuff on social media to be misunderstood and taken out of context. And, and even more importantly, you don't have to engage on social media. You don't have to engage in real face-to-face -face relationship, which is so important to these conversations and even more importantly to the mission of God. Um, so let, let me – were you going to say something? Yeah, yeah, okay. just, just kind of piggybacking off of that. Uh, with, with a lot of the recent events that have unfolded um, just, just this semester, uh, man, it, it, was, it was really heartbreaking for me to get on Facebook and just to watch just the responses of – of my brothers and sisters in Christ, not even just random people, but people who call themselves Christians. And uh, man, my wife uh, can attest to this. Man, I was I was heartbroken, you know, especially as as a minority cat and seeing uh, a lot of my close brothers and sisters in Christ who who are white who are in the majority culture say some things that that were super insensitive or inconsiderate. Um, I'm like, oh man, you could have actually approached me on that. We could have had. A below the surface dialogue about it, but you know your your Facebook response says something completely different. So it meant it. I was actually confused in in a lot of ways because I was like, well, I I thought I knew you, but then you got on Facebook and you said something crazy, and I'm like, dang, do I really know you, or are you really serious about what 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 even Austin talking about about viewing me and many others in the likeness of God? And so. Um, yeah, back to what we're talking about. Your words really do hold weight. Uh, I, I kind of want to chime in here. I got a question to follow up yeah, with that. Yeah. But the reason that we are doing this series and the reason that we're sharing this and having specifically this format tonight in this conversation is when we look at this group in here, this ministry, um, like I shared the first week, um, though we have a lot of room to grow. If we, you yeah. know, One of the four prayers of our ministry is that the diversity of our ministry would reflect the diversity of the population of college students in Denton. And if that's to be true, we have room to grow. UNT is 48% white, uh, I think 21% Hispanic, 12% um, African-American. T-Dub is even more diverse uh, than that. And, uh, but that being said, when you, when you look at statistics and the diversity of congregations and ministries ac across the country, only 5.5% fall in the category of being diverse, which means the, the largest uh, group or ethnic group in the, in the in the ministry is is no more than 80% of the ministry and we are we're doing much better than that and and so again encouraging you in that and applauding you and applauding God's grace at work in this ministry um, so the reason that we're doing this series is 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 really not so much because we see necessarily um, we see God working in this yeah. in this arena in your hearts in my heart in his heart and in our hearts together 
And, and so because we see that, we feel like if we can have this conversation and start talking about the practical things, then we can really be a catalyst. Um, and, and, and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like use what is happening in this ministry to impact uh, Denton, but well beyond Denton and, and other ministries. And in some ways, maybe even be uh, a model moving forward. But that being said, okay, going back to social media, what would yeah. you say are some helpful guidelines for social media use? Man, for, we're going to go back. Y'all need to write these. We, all of us, need to write these. I mean, I wrote them down for myself as well. So uh, the first thing is pray. If there's a situation that happens and there's a, an opportunity for there to be some divisiveness, especially between ethnicities, the first thing you should do is, is pray. You, you sh- your heart should want to do that. You should want to ask God for wisdom. And then secondly, um, you should consider your brothers and sisters um, when you're writing this. You should, you should, you should think, all right, how, how would they feel if I write this or, you know, have I talked to them about this? And so they know my heart in posting this. And so, one, pray. Uh, and then, two, cons- uh, consider your brothers and sisters th- of different ethnicities and even of the same ethnicity before you post anything. I, I would add to that, uh, don't try to tackle issues like this in 140 characters or less. Yeah. Uh, Man. And even just looking at Facebook, um, you know, I, I just don't think Facebook is the platform really to try to tackle issues like this. I mean, there's whole books that are written about this, and at the end, they get you get there and say, "Yeah, we, this is still novels and novels need to be written, not novels, but you know, like volumes and volumes need to be written, and, and still more and more understanding needs to be had." The other thing I would say is don't rely on social media uh, as your perspective source. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because a lot of us, like our our friend circles, are very uh, homogenous. I think that's the yeah. word I was trying to say the other night, and I said something weird. Y'all, some of y'all laughing. Y'all remember that? Uh, uh, <laughs> a lot of your, that's fine. That's cool. Uh, my vocabulary is not very big, people. Um, but I, I, a lot of our friend circles, you know, are very homogenous and very much, this, you know, like the same as ourselves. And so our, our perspective is, is very limited, you know, if, if we rely on social media for that. Okay, we got to move on. Um, anything else you want to nope, say? We'll okay, James chapter 3, beginning in verse uh, 13, says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let, it, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Which, let me pause and back up. He asked this question, who is wise and understanding among you? Uh, like some of y'all, bless you, some of y'all might think, uh, okay, like if, if, I, if I was to ask you this, who is wise among you? Like some of y'all, maybe somebody would come to mind. And if that person comes to mind, I, I want you to now listen to what the rest of you says. And, and this is the standard here. And see if this wow. standard is, is like... Like, how does this, this person or these people that you thought about hold up next to this standard? So who's wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, uh, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every evil or every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Okay, going back to verse 13, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? I would say circle that word, understanding. I think this word, understanding, is the game changer. I think one of the main reasons, the biggest reasons, that there's so much tension around conversations on race, conversations on uh, immigration or conversations on you know these different things that have popped up in the past few months or past few years you know like the Black Lives Matters uh, 
uh, uh, movement. I think one of the biggest reasons that there's so much tension around conversations about this stuff is because the word understanding is absent. Wow. You know, if you, if you dig into the Greek root of the word understanding, the, the word is, is really to say learned, like you're, you're learned. So, you know, put that in there, who's wise and learned among you. And really what that's alluding to is who, who is wise and really has, like, perspective um, among you. Um, so that, that, for me, kind of leads to a question, which, Coleman, I want to I throw at you and see what you say. Um, how can we gain understanding? Like, how would you say we can gain perspective? Like, like if I'm, uh, I'm white, so if I'm a white dude, which I am, if you didn't notice, I'm really <laughs> white. Uh, how can I learn what a black dude's perspective is? Or how can I learn what a, what a Hispanic or Asian uh, person's perspective is? Like, and I know, I know that this series, in a lot of ways, has kind of honed in on the, the black-white race issues. Um, but it's, it, this is really more about more than that. This is yes. about the division that exists in a lot of areas. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, like just this week. So here's an example. Just this week. And I think all y'all are probably aware of this because I think emails were sent out. But... Um, from the, both presidents of the university, but uh, students on both campuses, UNT and TW, have been um, uh, petitioning that both campuses become sanctuary, uh, sanctuary campuses. And so, you know, with, with that in mind, like, how do I grow in my understanding of, of what those students who are petitioning for that are feeling? What, what yes. would you say to that? Man, I think it's huge that you are intentional with building relationships with them, getting to know are y'all them. Seeing a, are y'all seeing a pattern? What are you saying? This is like three times, four times you said this. Yeah, no, it's big. It's big because so many times we don't and we just assume. And so it is so important for us to build a below-the-surface relationship with someone who is in this position, get to know their fears, get to know their concerns, um, and stuff like that. Otherwise, you're going to be tempted to make an insensitive statement, an uh, inconsiderate statement, and a statement that may not be fruitful. You know, it may be more more hurtful than anything and 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 let me make sure i say this uh, this doesn't just go for our millennial generation you know uh, I, I i do got a little bit of beef with the old older generation because they take so many stabs at us i'm i'm 30 but i, I can i still consider myself a part of the millennial and probably so um the older generation also is held accountable to this, is having below-the-surface conversations with a different ethnicity. You know, you got to get out of your comfort zone as well. And so uh, I, we're, everybody's a, accountable to this, especially if you call yourself a Christian. So I just want to say that for sure. But, yeah, getting to know someone else that doesn't look like you or that is a different ethnicity of you and uh, getting to know their fears. You know, what, what are their fears in this, you know? And uh, that'll allow you to be uh, sympathetic, and that'll allow you to think objectively and how to walk alongside them. Um, I, I would add, I would add that too. And uh, really, you said this earlier, so I'm going to make sure it's said because I thought it was good. Yeah, please. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, reading, you know, reading outside your normal reading zone. And I think, I think we talked about this week one. I know some of y'all are like <laughs> reading zone. I don't have one of those, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, you know, if you don't, then form one and uh, form a form a, a broad, a broad one. You know, but uh, you know, read 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 authors that you know you wouldn't gotcha. normally read. Um, and uh, you know, what would you say is what, what's one really good book that has has shaped your perspective? Wow, there's, ah, there's a couple. What was that? 
I'm sorry. But I mean, you can't, that's like a loaded question because there's a ton of books. Uh, man. I, okay, so one of them that is that is really shaped, there's a, there's a ton of them, but Bloodlines um, by John Piper is a good one. Um, Divided by Faith uh, is also a good one by Michael Emerson. Uh, and then another one that, that I've really just have taken hold of is uh, it's called Under Our Skin. And it's by this uh, uh, NFL tight end named Benjamin Watson. Solid dude. And so he's dealing Literally, with Literally, he's an NFL tight end. So yeah, 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 NFL player. Super godly dude. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to stop there because, I mean, you know, you know how you can go on naming books. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I hear you. That's cool. Um, you want to take verse yeah, 13? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, man, I'm going to chew on verse 13 real quick. Let me, let me reread this. Uh, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, uh, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish sorry, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. This is this is really key, um, and this is <laughs> this is one of those uh, landmines. Uh, but but I'm okay with it. So circle the word disorder. This is this is big. The Greek word for disorder literally means riot. Um, and so this is, this is crazy to me because uh, as a minority cat, um, I don't want to downplay the pain and the hurt that we've experienced from oppression and, and just different things, uh, systemic racism, stuff like that. Um, Man, it, it has frustrated me, um, and, and, and to be completely honest and candid with you, it, is, it has caused me to want to, to burst out in anger as well, just as a minority cat. So I want to make sure that, that I paint that picture. Uh, but I also want to make sure that uh, just as James is giving a charge to this church way back in A.D. 44, he's giving us the same charge. And he's, he's saying that for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And so um, the best way to just kind of talk about this from, from my perspective is uh, back during the Civil Rights Movement, when there, was, there was two different philosophies. There was, there was the Malcolm X philosophy, and then there was the Martin Luther King philosophy. And I actually think both of them were very important because both of them uh, got their points across. Uh, but, but one thing that was di different Malcolm X uh, wanted justice by any means necessary. That's, that was like his famous punchline, by any means necessary. So this meant even just th through violent acts, uh, they wanted to get their point across in a, in a fight for justice. And I totally get that, uh, just understanding the pain and the hurt that they were dealing with. Uh, but then Martin Luther King's philosophy was all about peaceful protest. Um, which, uh, which is really key because uh, I, think it's, I think in some situations, for us as minorities, man, it is, it is a huge temptation to, to want to just like lash out and, and to be angry and, and to make our voice known, especially when we've, we've only had a legitimate voice 
for about a hundred years or so, uh, like a legitimate voice. And in some ways, I still struggle if we do have a legitimate voice. So um, this idea of making our voice heard um, has become pertinent through just outward expression as far as like writings. But what I see is that a lot of times those type of actions don't really produce the type of fruit that will reflect God, especially if you're a Christian. Now, now what I'm mindful of is especially when we look at, at media and we see these riots and stuff like that, a lot of them aren't necessarily from Christians. Maybe there is, and that, which is, we have a problem with that if there is. Um, but I know there's a lot of peaceful protesters, um, like myself in, in, in various ways, that want to get a point across. But then there's, you know, of course, Fox News and CNN, all they're going to broadcast is the ones that, that are breaking down businesses and that are doing that and, you know, stuff like that. And so the, the, the point here is that uh, that in no way um, solves the ultimate heart issue. Um, and, 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 and in many ways, it's just a Band-Aid. Uh, and so, man, there's an opportunity for us to, to lean on the, the, the standard of wisdom that comes from God as opposed to, you know, our own wisdom, you know, our own, our own selfish ambition, right? Um, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder, which, which, which means riot, which is, which is crazy, um, because Christians back in AD 44 were dealing with this type of stuff. We're dealing with quarrels and stuff like that. Um, so this is, uh, this is a big deal uh, because our reactions as a church, capital C church, so this, this is all ethnicities um, that call themselves Christians. We are to have a countercultural remedy to racial reconciliation. And this is important for us. And so um, what does this look like for us practically in doing this? And so uh, James is arguing, or he's, he's telling these, these cats that this order isn't the way. So, One of the things you said as we were talking this week um, about this was you know, the, mi- the minority culture often feels like their voice isn't, isn't heard. Right. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons they often revert to rioting. And, um, you know, man, I, I look at that and I think, okay, I think one of the things or maybe the thing that would change that is if the majority culture would stand in the gap for the minority culture. Um, and, you know, again, as believers, we remember James 1.27, uh, which we studied the first week where it says, religion that God our fa- Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress uh, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So going back to that, that idea that, that religion, like that God our Father can, accepts as pure and faultless is to look after, not stand at a distance and talk about it, but like to look after, to go and visit some translations say um, to stand beside, to stand in the gap for the orphans and the widows. That's not an extensive list. Uh, the point that he's getting is the marginalized, those who are pushed to the outskirts of society, those who don't have a voice in society. Um, you know, so if the majority culture was standing in the gap for the minority culture, I think, I think that issue would change. And you think about it this way. Jesus, he stood in the gap for us. I mean, that's the gospel message. Yeah. Uh, Jesus stood in the gap for us. That's what he was doing on the cross. And even now, Scripture tells us that Jesus continues to stand in the gap for us. Hebrews 7.25 talks about how he continues to stand before God, uh, interceding on our behalf. Uh, so true Christians do this. And, and we'll see that as, uh, as, as our mission, again, knowing that this is close to the heart of God and significant to the mission of the church. Um, which leads well into verse 17 and 18 where he says, But the wisdom from above mm. is first pure, which, which just 
hang with that phrase, wisdom from above. Essentially what that alludes to or, or implies is that this type of wisdom that he's about to show us and that he's been talking about is not natural. It's not in our nature. It comes only from God. It's wisdom from above. And, and this is why, one, uh, we have to do what we talked about week one, and that is to beg God for his wisdom. Remember James 1 talked about um, asking if, if we feel like we lack wisdom, which we do, we need to beg God for his wisdom. His wisdom is infinitely better than ours. He has perfect understanding of everything that's happened in the past. He has perfect perspective on everything that's going on right now. And he knows everything that's going to happen in the future. And, and, and really, that, I mean, the, all, all aspects, all three of those aspects set his, part, his wisdom apart from ours. But I, especially the fact that he knows what's going to happen in the future. That, that makes his wisdom infinitely greater than ours. So we, one, need to beg for his wisdom uh, but, but two, we as the church, as the only ones on the planet who have this relational access to God through Jesus, we have to jump in. Um, society, again, all they have to offer is band-aids. But we as the church, uh, we have the cure. And you look at this, verse 17, but the wisdom from above, and he gives us this list. If you've been in my How to Study the Bible course, you know you've got to pay attention to lists. Uh, but the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, Full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And then the result is, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make, make, make peace. What, what would you say yeah. of these qualities do you think is the most critical or important? Yeah, the last today? two were, were James is saying impartial and sincere. Uh, I think you, in order to embrace that, you have to put aside some of your biases that you may have or that you grew up with. Um, or some, some prejudices that you may have in your heart, which ultimately will lead you to go back to pray and repent, um, but then also being sincere. Uh, and it's this idea that you don't have to have the solution, but being able to be sincere with someone else of, enough, of a different ethnicity, I think is really key. Because uh, a lot of times people can, can sense when you're being fake as well. So I think, I think it's key that James pointed that out. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, when I look at this, the two that pop pop for me off the page are gentle and open to reason. I think for a lot of people, like, these conversations, it's easy for us to get, like, like heated, or not necessarily even heated, but just, like, we want to be, or we want our, our perspective, our side to be, to be heard. And so uh, we, we, we kind of urgently try to get it out there, or however you, whatever adjective you want to throw in there. So I think gentleness is really important uh, for being heard, but also open to reason. And, 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 and really even going beyond that, you, you know, he says, Who's, who's wise and understanding among you, uh, by his good conduct, let him show his words in the, or his works in the meekness of wisdom. If you want to just give one quality that I think is 100% necessary, necessary that's meekness or humility. Yeah. Um, because you have to, I mean, understanding or, or learning other perspectives is rooted in being humble enough to admit that you, you maybe don't really see the full perspective on the other side. Um, I, I, think that's, I think that's huge. Like, just coming to the place where we can push the pride away long enough to realize that maybe we are lacking in our perspective uh, on, on certain issues. All right, we've got a, about 10 minutes. We've got to pick up the pace. So you yes, sir. So James chapter 4, man, uh, James is talking about the warnings against worldliness. And I, I want to specifically zone in on verse 4 where it says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And this is, this is so key because um, James is talking about how um, worldliness is not the way to deal with 
just societal issues or issues within the church. And so um, even in verse 1, we see the frustration that James had with the church way back in A.D. 44. And so the friendship now has kind of been watered down. But in the Greek, uh, friendship with the world actually means this deep, intimate um, relationship with, like, selfish desires, your selfish desires or or worldly system, like you clinging to that. And uh, and then he said, and then James, I, I think, a uh, play on words, he says, you adulterous people. And so essentially, if you call yourself a Christian, but you but you live life and you you through through a worldly lens, then then you you hey you cheapen the grace of God uh, in a sense because you're saying God isn't enough. Um, but then secondly, um, yeah, you you cling to a different solution that doesn't work. And so James, when he says, do not do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Man, that, that has a really serious tone. So in a nutshell, we must fight for wisdom that comes from above. And then under that umbrella, uh, when it comes to racial reconciliation, begin to have a, uh, a remedy uh, that is rooted in the gospel. Um, and especially we're getting to know each other. So. Yeah, that's good. Uh, James chapter 5, verse, verse, uh, verse 1. says this, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Um, I think there's a lot to be said uh, about history here. Um, you know, we said week one that there's so many layers to this conversation. We said that earlier tonight. So many layers, personal layers, emotional layers, generational layers, uh, and definitely historical layers. I think there's a lot of historical layers uh, to this conversation. Yeah. Um, and I think one question that we have to ask is how has history impacted what's happening uh, today? Uh, I'm, I'm, I am not a history expert at all, and honestly, I think even a history expert would have trouble in his lifetime understanding how all the layers of history are impacting or not impacting uh, today. But uh, I, I've gotten some pushback from people um, as I've kind of had or, 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 or wondered these thoughts out loud um, that I'm about to share, but, you know, let's just go for it here, another <laughs> landmine. Uh, you know, I, I just wonder how much some of the events of the past, like slavery or, or like Jim Crow, um, are still impacting today. And let me kind of give you an example of what I mean. You know, so to me, it, it, it makes sense that if, if my great-great-grandfather um, was, was free, uh, was educated, owned land, and had rights, and then, you know, your mm-hmm. great-great-grandfather uh, was a slave and didn't have any of that stuff, it, it makes sense to me that we would uh, both still potentially be in some way feeling the effects of that today. I mean, you think about slavery didn't officially end in our country until 150 years ago. That's just a few generations ago. Um, or, or put it in this, pers- I think this really is where it, it even comes home more. So the Civil Rights Movement, that was just barely 50 years ago. Right. Um, it, it makes sense to me to think that, that if my dad, so my dad, he was born in 1948, I think, something like that. So he was, he was in his 20s or close to it during the Civil Rights Movement. 
Wait, no, 1948, 19, he, was, he was 10, right? I'm not a math major. Y'all weren't even going to say nothing, were you? But, uh, anyways, uh, no, no, he was in the 20s because the, the civil rights was in the 60s. The civil rights, right? Yeah, it was in the 60s. You good? Hey, I'm good. I was right the first time, people. Come on. Did you say, did, were, you, were you helping me out over here? Okay, anyways. So the civil rights movement, it happened just about 50 years ago. And, and so it, it makes sense to me to, to think that if my dad grew up having full rights, having access to, you know, the best schools or the better schools, better jobs, lived in nicer, safer neighborhoods, and, and say your dad didn't have that, that we'd still be feeling the effects of that today. And so let me, let me piggyback off okay. that. I just, I just talked to my dad uh, about this uh, two months ago because I, I didn't, had never asked. And I said, so what, what, was, what was junior high and high school like for you growing up, uh, you know, in that time period? He's, he is 67, and uh, he actually went to, you know, a, a segregated school. And I didn't know that. I, I assumed that our high school was already integrated, but it wasn't. And so he was telling me ab about, you know, what it was like to go to just an all-black school and, and, uh, and how, you know, the majority culture were, you know, often shunned them off and stuff. And that really damaged me a little bit. Mm. And so, you know, just to piggyback off of what you're talking about, yeah, I, uh, it's personal for me because my dad went to a segregated school, you know, and it wasn't the best scenario. And I, I didn't know that till two months ago. So, well, here's here's what I'm not saying at all. Okay, I'm not saying that if you're white, you should feel guilty. Right. Uh, I'm white, and I do not feel guilty for being white. Um, and I'm not saying that if you're rich, that you should feel guilty for being rich. Um, I'm not even saying that uh, every white person and every black person, every Hispanic and Asian person, is living on the coattails, good or bad, of their parents or grandparents or or you know whatever down the line. But here's what I am saying. What I am saying, and th and this is huge. There are, there's, there's more layers to this issue than simply, okay, I'm not a racist and I didn't own slaves, so it's not right. my problem. As believers in Jesus, it is our problem. James 1.27, again, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Again, it's not an extensive list, orphans and widows. It's talking about the marginalized, the people that don't have a voice. Um, you know, you, you flip to Ephesians 2 really quick. I want to read this. Ephesians chapter 2, um, beginning in verse, we'll, we'll start in verse 13. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I mean, that's the gospel straight up right there. Then verse 14, for he himself, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in, in, in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. I mean, he's essentially talking about here. He's not saying, you know, you become colorblind, but what he is saying is uh, that in Christ we become a new race like we become a new family we become one one new body in fact first peter talks about this too calls us this chosen race a royal priesthood so he's going back to verse 17 and he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near for through him we both have access in one spirit to the father so then you are no longer strangers and aliens 
but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone or the foundation uh, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God uh, by the Spirit. Um, we both, I think, have more to say on this, but, but just to kind of keep us on track here. Um, we, we've got to stop relying on the government to fix the socioeconomic disparities in our economy. Um, that's the job of the church. Uh, I think one of the biggest signs of spiritual growth in a ministry or in a church is when the people stop relying on staff and the structures that are in place, uh, stop relying on them to one, see the needs and then meet the needs within the community or within the church, and the people start to see those needs themselves and meet those needs themselves. I mean, you just go read Acts 2, 42 to 47, and Acts 4, and that's what you see happening. Um, so, yeah, what? Yeah, so, well, with that in mind, you know, reading, you know, chapter 5, uh, verse, yeah, 1 through 6, you know, if you're rich, you know, how James is talking about here, how do you practically respond to this text? Yeah. Um, is that a question for me? Yep. <laughs> Uh, okay, again, real quick, I'd say don't feel guilty for being rich, but feel convicted. Uh, um, godly remorse that leads to repentance. Uh, if you're using your wealth to boost yourself up and not to boost, uh, boost wow. up the kingdom. Um, the other thing really quick I would read is, is 1 Timothy chapter 6, and, and you might make note of this. This is, I think, such a helpful uh, reference. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, it says, Paul says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, uh, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works. So what are you rich in, you know? They're to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of what, uh, or of that which is truly life. Uh, okay, Coleman, why don't you wrap it up, James chapter 5. Yeah, uh, James is talking about the importance of patience and suffering. And what I love about this is, is that James is, is not creating any surprises here uh, and, and being the church in general. And so way back in A.D. 44, he is, I mean, we see it in James 1, verses 2 to 3, he's talking about consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. That is so key. And then even in verse 7 of chapter 5, he says, be patient. Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, be, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. Uh, this, is, this is big because we should understand that racial reconciliation, this fight for racial unity, it won't be done within just this, this three-part series or it won't be done just this year. As a matter of fact, this will be a, a fight, a fight that is worth being a part of It'll be a fight until uh, Jesus comes back. And so you can be encouraged knowing that in the midst of this, we're going to suffer, um, we're going to face trials, uh, but because we get the opportunity to reflect God's goodness in the midst of suffering, not only for ourselves, but for the world around us as a capital C church, man, this is what we're called to. And so um, there's a lot to be said there, but yeah, I just wanted to say that, and that's that's something that stuck out to me in uh, verse 7. So, 
Um, and real quick, if we were to read further, I think essentially what you see James saying here is almost the same thing that Paul says in Philippians 2, where he says is he, he challenges the church to have the same mind as that of Christ Jesus, who, yeah. uh, being in very nature God, did, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, and he goes on to say he humbled himself even to the point uh, of death on the cross. And what you see in the gospel, wrapped up in the story of Christ and yeah. him coming to save us from our sins, is uh, this aspect of waiting and this aspect of patience is essential to the character of God and essential to the character of Christ, which we are to model. In fact, it makes me think of Luke 13. Jesus gives a parable of this fig tree, and this, this, uh, this dude comes up to the fig tree, sees it's not producing fruit, and he's like, well, shoot, let's just tear it up and throw it away. I mean, that's a logical thing to do if you're a gardener, farmer, you know, whatever. It's not, if it's not producing fruit, you get rid of it. It's taking up space. But then the vine dresser shows up and he says, no, 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 no. Let me work on it a little bit more. And then let's wait for a, for a little bit more time because I want this thing to produce fruit. And the point of that parable is, is, is that's what Jesus, we, like we are this fig tree that's not producing fruit. We're the fig tree that honestly, we should have been thrown out. We should be dead. That's, that should be our story. But Jesus, God, through Jesus, yes, shows up and he says, no, 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 no. Like, let's not do what logic tells us to do. Let's not do what is deserved for this fig tree. Uh, but instead, let me work on him. Let me work on her. Let me dig a trench around it. And then let's wait for another year. Let's wait for more time because I want this fig tree to have life. Ultimately, what you see in the gospel is Jesus, he works on us. He waits for us because he wants us. And, and, and so James here, he's saying we are to be ministers of reconciliation as we've been talking about this whole series. We're to be essentially the embodiment of the gospel. We're, we're to be the carriers of the gospel, pregnant with the gospel, you know. And, uh, and, a, and, and a key quality and characteristic is waiting and patience. And, and again, apart from Christ waiting and being patient in us uh, or, or for us, we would not have life. Uh, we would not have the relationship with God that we have. Um, so we want to close this out. Coleman, yes, you, you can kind of lead this. Absolutely. Uh, so this next part, I love it because James is being practical and he's calling us to action. So what we want to... What we don't, what we don't want to do, is just read this and just talk about this, and then just leave it at that. Man, we do. We want to be about that action. You know what I mean? And so, even tonight, um, we want to pray. And so, right now, man, I'm going to have you just break up into groups. Uh, break up into groups of three, of four, um, and this is really key. Um, if if you if this is your first time being here tonight, uh, feel free to sit back and watch and pray yourself. Uh, but, man, we want this to be an opportunity for many of you uh, to pray with each other and, and to talk to God about this and ask wisdom now. So in, in 30 seconds, you know, or a minute, get with a group of three or four, um, preferably people that you don't know, people that you don't know. Uh, so you can so get up and move, stand like, up, hey, move around. Me. You're good. Yeah, you're good. I know no, you know. Real, real quick, meet the people <laughs> in your group. If you, if you see somebody around you, just uh, by themselves, pull them over with you. We're not trying to make you feel awkward, but sorry yeah. if, if you do. <laughs> and so, while you were doing that, this is good. Yeah, because we want to be about that action. So this is key. And so the first thing that we want to pray about, uh, the first thing we want to pray about um, is suffering. Um, James says in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. That's a big deal because um, there are many here tonight that are suffering. 
uh, from, from a, a myriad of things. And then when it comes to just uh, racial unity and racial reconciliation, we know that it's tough. And so, man, we want to pray for each other and we want to stand in the gap and intercede for each other. So the first thing, well, I thought I was going to fall off. Um, the first thing um, is, is pray for suffering. If anybody is suffering, pray. So let's just pray with each other. Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.